Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Well, I just want to pray real quick, and then we'll get started. So, Father, we just thank you for this time tonight. We thank you for this gathering. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just bless this word, let it go forth and accomplish its purpose, find fertile soil. And, Father, we just give this time to you, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's challenging for pastors and leaders today. How many can agree with that? It's challenging with everything that's against them. And one of the many blessings that comes with being able to travel the world for the gospel is the perspective that it brings. It allows you to see what the spiritual climate is in other countries in comparison to where we live. It also provides a snapshot of what spiritual hunger looks like in the various places around the globe. And to date, I visited 25 countries. I hope to add many more before I leave this planet. And one thing that always astonishes me is how hungry people are to hear the good news of the gospel when you go around the world. I'm amazed at how much physical discomfort these folks in other nations are willing to undergo, how long people are content to stand, no padded chairs or fancy restrooms, They'll stand in the heat, in the rain, in the dust, hundreds and thousands of them. Or how eager they are to gather, even in freezing cold weather, in unheated concrete buildings with no electricity, no sound equipment, no plumbing, only candles stuck in plastic soda bottles for the light, just to receive prayer or hear the word of God. Hours and hours and hours And that's not including the time that it took them to walk to the meeting and then home again in the dark. I've witnessed this over and over again. And I've seen firsthand single pages of scripture that are now kept in special glass cases by the very family whose loved one was imprisoned for possessing them under the old Soviet Union, suffering suffering terribly, yet they never wavered in their faith. And my big takeaway after comparing and contrasting those observations and what I've seen in the United States is you don't often see that level of hunger or faithfulness here. In a country where the gospel has been preached since the Puritans arrived in 1620, in a country that's been the staging ground for four great spiritual awakenings, a nation that has in God we trust engraved on her coins and boasts almost 400,000 churches, It begs the question, how can we be a Christian nation and not really be hungry for God? After all of the sermons, the prayer meetings, the revivals, the crusades, after all the blood, sweat, and tears that pastors and missionaries and lay workers have poured out for generations, laboring faithfully, sowing into lives, being obedient to Christ, but so often seeing meager results even after years of toil. It's no wonder that pastors and ministry workers suffer from discouragement and burnout. And statistics say that 
There's 4,000 churches closing each year as proof. And now, with this culture that we're in, in serious decline, it looks like it's going to get even tougher. So if it's challenging for pastors and leaders to stand firm amidst all this cultural opposition, if they're getting burned out and discouraged, how are we as believers supposed to be able to handle it? How are we supposed to run our race, let alone finish it strong? Because it seems a lot of church people are jumping ship. In a recent article in The Atlantic, it was reported that 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. And according to a July 2023 Pew Research poll, church attendance in the U.S. has not rebounded to its pre-pandemic numbers. These losses are staggering. Is it discouragement? Or have they lost their first love altogether? Hebrews 10.25 instructs us to not neglect meeting together, but apparently many are. And the ones who stay that are trying to walk out their faith, well, they may be struggling to hang on and not let go. Galatians 6 verse 9 encourages us to not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And that's the key, to not lose heart. The King James Version says if we faint not, which means to be enfeebled through exhaustion, to grow weak, grow weary, be tired out, to let loose, to let go of. I think you get the idea. So I want to talk for a few moments tonight about how to stand firm, how to hold on, and how to finish strong. How as a born-again believer in Christ Jesus, we can not only survive, but we can thrive even in this culture and the climate that's becoming more and more antagonistic towards the cross. When the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, he was probably preaching to himself as well, at least in chapter 6, verse 9. Because of the danger that had been brought into the church by all the legalists, Paul's own work among the Galatians had not yet been rewarded. He needed to encourage himself in the faith to not lose heart, knowing that if he just held on, if he stood firm, if he didn't give up, eventually, whether here on this earth or in eternity, he would be rewarded. Now, discouragement is a very effective tool that the enemy loves to employ against the bride of Christ. Proverbs 13, 12 tells us very plainly that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Discouragement holds the door open for a host of other things like fear and doubt and unbelief. And they come in and they begin to set up a siege work in the mind and the heart of the believer. And if left unchecked, they soon have you questioning the plan of God in your own life and then, if persecution should begin in your weakened state, you may choose to abandon your faith altogether. Now, many folks believe that we're in the last days, that we are drawing closer and closer to the return of Christ. And Jesus himself warns us in Matthew 24 that in the last days, because sin will be rampant everywhere, many will turn away from him. The love of many will grow cold. And he was talking about believers when he said that. And we can see that what he spoke about back then is very clearly becoming a reality now. As things intensify, it seems that um, for some, it's more and more difficult to stand for Christ. Now, persecution, peer pressure, they may all play a part, but I think that there is another factor that's at work here. I think that what is happening all around us is really meant to shake us. Like what the writer of Hebrew talks about in chapter 12. 
God promises one last shaking, and the purpose of it is to do a thorough cleansing of our spiritual house, to shake out all the things that don't belong there, the things that aren't fastened tightly to him. In other words, the shakings that we are undergoing are designed to perfect us in our faith, leaving behind the unshakable that's found in building a firm foundation in Christ, because that's the only thing that will allow us to stand firm and finish strong for the kingdom. Now, the shaking is exposing our weaknesses, and even more than that, it's showing how weak many in the faith have become. Many churches and denominations have compromised sound biblical doctrine for liberal progressive ideology, trading absolutes like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for dogma that states many ways lead to heaven. There's no real penalty for sin. That's archaic. You're really okay just the way you are. And the fires of hell, well, they're just fear-based metaphors from a long, long time ago. No one is challenged to come up higher, to live holy. And nationally, we're reaping a harvest of a politically correct culture that has merged with the seeker-friendly church. And the end result being many who think they are Christians but are in reality in danger of going into eternity deceived, not really ready to meet the Lord. Still others are feeling challenged in their faith, and they're confused by this watered-down version of the gospel that they may be getting where there are no biblical absolutes. And as difficulties in the world intensify, people are becoming lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And they would rather pursue the things of this world than to pursue its creator. This generates a pretty tough environment for Bible-believing ministers and genuine Christ followers to labor and flourish. It's not easy to hold on in our world while so many are moving away from the faith. It's not popular to stand for the truth while others are bowing to selfish desires and destructive ideologies. It reminds me of the story of Esau, how he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew, trading the very best for cheap, immediate comfort and pleasure, pretty much what a lot of folks are doing in the church today. And sadly, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 3.19 when he says, For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And that's why I want to encourage us today how it's more important now, probably more than any other time in our life, to be moving beyond frustrations and discouragement, to stay the course, stand firm so that we can finish strong for Christ, holding on tightly to our faith, and in due season we will reap our eternal reward. Like Paul talking to his spiritual son Timothy in a pagan world and a culture that was fraught with self-indulgence and self-gratification, I want to invite us to join in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus and to fight the good fight of faith. I want to encourage each one of us through this message tonight to stand firm, hold on, so that we will be able to finish strong. Now, when Paul was speaking of the suffering soldier, that meant to endure hardship, affliction, and trouble as a good, virtuous champion of the cause of Christ. And those are our orders as well. We are commissioned 
as well as empowered through the Holy Spirit to carry these out. No, it's not going to be easy. And yes, people are going to try to mock, minimize, and malign you, but God is for you. What so many people are failing to realize is that it's about to get real personal. People who have always thought of themselves as, as Christians that are trying to coast along and maybe fake it till they make it, they're about to have a very rude awakening. And when this happens, they may come to the sad realization that they never truly believed in the person of Christ for themselves at all. They may ultimately decide that, well, I guess I don't believe anymore, even though they never really even knew him. And if that's you, if you're searching for a loophole or a way out of your Christianity, you don't have to look very hard. After all, it's voluntary to accept Christ and to serve him. And just as easily, you can make a choice to stop. And I really believe a lot of people are going to do just that as the days become more difficult ahead because the Bible says that this is going to happen. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, it says, Let no man in any way deceive you or entrap you, for that day will not come until the apostasy comes first. That is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So the question that I have to ask then is how can people be so casual with Jesus? Anyone who has ever experienced one tiny little touch from the Lord knows that in their heart, God is real, and he's certainly able to keep us from falling away. So what happens? How do believers get themselves into this place? Well, whenever we find ourselves wavering in our faith walk, it's never God who changes or moves away or stops the conversation. It's always us. And so there's three points I want to talk about tonight in regards to standing firm in the faith and holding on and finishing strong. But first, I need to clarify what I mean by this statement. I mean that we have to decide once and for all that we are drawing that line in the sand, that no matter what's going on in crazy town all around us, from pandemics and global catastrophes political unrest, riots, murder, mayhem, financial collapse, or even in times of peace and prosperity, we have to determine in our hearts that no matter what it looks like all around us, we will stand strong in our faith. We firmly decide to carry on the mandate that he has given each one of us to do, and that is to represent him well and to share the gospel no matter what. So point number one, you must keep your spirit man well-fed, disciplined, and in pristine fighting condition. So it's not easy being a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year, at home, at work, at play. It can and it will test you in every fiber of your being. But like a good soldier who has to maintain internal discipline and self-control, he also must work daily to keep his body in condition. And it's called PT, or physical training. He has to keep his body ready to respond in a moment to whatever demands are made. He's a walking war machine. And likewise, we are called to ST, spiritual training, as well as a life of discipline and self-control. We can't give in to every urge and respond the way that the world does because we're not our own. Now, the old term for soldier that I grew up with being raised in a military family was a GI, which stood for government issue. That meant that the soldier didn't belong to himself any longer. 
he belonged to the United States government. Well, the same is true with us. When we receive Jesus, we are also GIs. We are God imagers, and we no longer belong to ourselves, but to him through the blood of the cross. We must keep our spirit man well-fed, fit, and disciplined in the word of God and be people of prayer. We must maintain a posture of readiness because we are engaged in a very real spiritual war every single day, which manifests in our natural world. Now, we're going to be reading out of Joshua a lot tonight. And our first um, reference is going to be Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Um, If somebody wants to read that. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Thank you, Dean. We get so excited about quoting verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given into your hand. Or verse 5, no man shall ever be able to stand before you to oppose you. As long as you live, I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. We love these verses because we take comfort knowing that our God is on our side. All we have to do is be strong and courageous, right? Well, if you stop at verse 6, maybe. But the key to standing strong and having the Lord fight for you is found in verse 7. God reiterated the phrase, be strong and courageous. And then he adds this little caveat. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left so that you may prosper and be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall read it and meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything in it, accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
God's word is the key. Getting it into you, meditating on it, and then keeping it, applying it, and walking it out in your daily life. That is how you not only survive, but you thrive. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God builds your faith and enriches your understanding. You read of the miracles and the exploits, the blessings and the judgments, the mercies, as well as the punishments. Your weapons are found there as well as your weaknesses. You get the word into your spirit and you will prosper in every part of your being. But this takes tremendous discipline. And I've said it many, many times before. It's easier to read a romance novel, a social media post, or even a Christian self-help book than it is to pick up and read the Bible. Now, why would this be the case? Because your adversary wants you to remain ignorant of your authority and disconnected from your power source. You must be strong and rule over your carnal man that resists time in the word. That is essentially what you're choosing to do when you neglect getting the word inside of you. Now, God didn't give an option B when speaking to Joshua. There was only one option, and that was to get the word inside. He said, it will not depart from your mouth. We've got to know it. Now, after their second victory in the promised land, when they finally took I, we read in Joshua 8, starting in verse 30, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it in according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone on which no iron tool had been used. And on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. So after their second victory, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, and after they offered their sacrifices on it, he writes the whole law of Moses on the stones. Now think how painstakingly time-consuming this must have been. Plus, he did it in the presence of the whole company of Israel, Everyone was gathered in that place looking on and watching him. And after he was finished writing it, who knows how many hours later, Joshua then reads what he had written out loud to all of them. No one could pretend ignorance or claim that they didn't know. Because it says in verse 35 that there was not a word of all Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including women and little children, and the foreigners who were living there among them. So if a pastor did that today, how do you think he would be received? Exactly. I wonder how many uh, pastors won't read a lengthy passage for their text because they're afraid that their congregation will complain or maybe even get up and leave if it takes too long. We're so blessed here at Maranatha to have a pastor 
who not only loves the Word of God, but he's an excellent teacher as well. And we receive the rich benefits of his labor, but sadly, not all congregants are as fortunate as we are. Hosea 4.6 nails it right on the head. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you've ignored the law of your God, I will ignore your children. We suffer from spiritual attention deficit. And a lot of Christians today are perishing for lack of knowledge. They're starving to death or being sifted and picked apart by the enemy from lack of knowledge. The word is readily available. There's just no genuine hunger or interest. Now, where would we be today if Martin Luther or other early church fathers in the Reformation felt that way? There was only one Bible in that Wittenberg monastery, and it was chained to a wall on a stand. So how much time did Martin Luther give to standing by that Bible? It was said that he was captivated by the beauty and power of Scripture, and he immersed himself in it day and night. It consumed him to such an extent that sleep was a luxury and mealtimes a chore. Reading it, devouring it, getting it deep into his spirit, making him ready to receive the revelation of the just shall live by faith. What if he had the spiritual appetite that's pervasive in the land today? That's a frightening thought. Basic knowledge of the word of God is a systemic problem in the body of Christ today. And unfortunately, that's not new. Because Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, expressed the same frustration and concerns when he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. And he wasn't speaking to a brand new congregation. That church, which was founded by Paul, had already been around for five years. Not knowing, let alone applying the word, is one of the main reasons why our society is imploding. It's why we're floundering and succumbing to the ploys of the enemy, but not because we don't have access to it. There just seems to be no desire. And the excuses, though weak, are endless. In a time of natural famine, people still need food. They know that they must have nourishment even if they have to get up extra early to drive or walk to a food distribution center. And then they'll wait for hours and hours in line to secure it. But how many Christians have the word of God on their bedside table or even on their cell phones but don't even give it a second look except on Sunday morning? Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 4. He'd been fasting for 40 days, and when the devil comes to test him, knowing how hungry Jesus had to be, what was the first thing he offered? Satan offers and appeals to the fleshly appetite by telling Jesus to command the stones to be turned to bread. But how does Jesus respond? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Jesus spoke the word to the enemy, and he was delivered from his temptation. So do you see the correlation here? The spoken word inside of you, when released, is powerful. We as humans put so much emphasis on the temporal flesh, but we're designed to live eternally. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So the only way that we can fully live for God 
in the way that we were created to is to intimately know the word of God, every word. But the first rule to standing firm, holding on, and finishing strong is that you must keep your spirit man disciplined and in tip-top condition. The word of God is the food that will keep you spiritually strong, well-nourished, and moving forward in a forward direction. It will also give you the weapons, the intelligence, and the resources that you need to accomplish your objective. And if you're not hungry for it, what are you filling up on instead? Point number two, you don't have to do this alone. Sometimes when we're engaged in an unusually big or long protracted battle, we feel overwhelmed and definitely weary. And it's in these moments of spiritual battle fatigue that we can become faint in our resolve to stand firm and hold fast to his promises. It's easy for the enemy to come and whisper mutinous thoughts in our heads. It's times in these moments and times that we need to understand that it's okay to enlist other believing soldiers to come and fight with us. In Joshua chapter 17, we find an excellent example of this, starting in verse 12. Somebody wants to read Joshua 17, verse 12 through um, 18. Okay. So the tribe of Manasseh was complaining that there were too many in their tribe for the land parcel that had been allotted to them. The truth was there was more than enough land for them. The problem was that they were just battle-weary, and they were afraid. There were still enemies to be removed from that territory, and these enemies had iron chariots, and there were also giants in the land. These enemies seemed in the natural to be too big for them to conquer, but in order for them to lay hold of all that God had promised for Manasseh, To claim their inheritance, they would have to clear the forest and dislodge the enemy. Joshua told them in verse 17 to join with Ephraim and to fight the enemy. Then they would be victorious. So we need to understand that there will be times when we find ourselves engaged in spiritual battles, and we need to enlist the help of other believers. They can join with us in the power of agreement and increase our spiritual authority. They encourage us in our weakness to hold on. Joshua 23, 8 through 10 says, But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you the great and powerful nations to this day. No one has been able to withstand you. One of you roots a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. So if one one believer can make a thousand flee, 
how much more victory can be ours when we enlist the assistance of one another. When we're weary, we ask for reinforcements. When you're in active combat, in real war scenarios, you have a buddy, a combat buddy. And that buddy's job is to check you for wounds and also to do an assessment of your mental, emotional, and physical condition. And in a spiritual battle, they can function similarly. It's an extra pair of ears and eyes to help you assess your situation as well as your own condition. It also is key to helping you know how to pray strategically. Moses needed Aaron and her to help him keep his hands up so that he could intercede while Joshua felt the battle below. So there's no need to be a lone wolf when the battle rages on. We bear one another's burdens. And as Hebrews 10, 23, and 24 instructs us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So to recap, point number two, how to stand firm, hold on, and finish strong. We all need each other, especially when the battle rages long past the time we hoped it would be over. When we feel our grip and our hopes slipping, lift up a shout, sound the alarm, alert the enemy that you're bringing in reinforcements. You will not yield, and you will not be another casualty of war. And finally, point number three. When you've done all that you can, stand and allow God to fight for you. How many times... When I personally have been engaged in a spiritual battle, I felt that I've done absolutely all that I could do. I plastered the word everywhere so that I can remind myself and God what they say. I fasted. I prayed. I've enlisted the help of the saints to fight with me. And still there remains this ominous quiet from above. It seems that the heavens are made of brass, and I feel a horse crying out in my prayers and petitions, just so frustrated. So once again, that slippery serpent, and he tries to raise his ugly head and ask me why I'm even bothering to do it. And he offers a moment of self-indulgence or self-pity where he can try and manipulate my mind, feeding my flesh while leeching off that last little bit of spiritual life that remains in me. And this is the place that many people finally lose their resolve to press on, and they even lose their faith. If God does not dance to our attendance, If he doesn't move when we say move and rectify our situation, waves of doubt can come in. And these are the periods of testing that we're never excited about, but they're very necessary to our spiritual growth and maturity. It's here that we practice all of that word that we're supposed to be getting into our spirit. It's go time. Now, here's a mental picture that might help you put this in perspective. Times like these, I liken to an academic exam. You've been learning, you've been studying, and now it's time for testing what you've learned. It's chapter review and then the final examination. And here's the point you need to get into your spirit. God's silence is not a sign of his indifference to the situation. It's just that the teacher never talks while the exam is in progress. In Daniel chapter 10, we can observe this firsthand. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. 
And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking as I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord. I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Don't be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Now, Daniel is old and frail and feeble, and he has little strength in the natural as he's been fasting for 21 days. And he'd been engaged in heavy intercession, praying for the restoration of God's people to Jerusalem. And during this time, Daniel sees a vision and has a holy encounter. It puts him face down on the ground. An angel comes to him and touches him. Daniel says that the angel sets him trembling on his hands and knees, and the angel begins to explain the why to Daniel's brass heaven that had been over him for the last three weeks. The angel explains that from the moment that Daniel had opened his mouth in prayer, his words had penetrated the heavens, and he'd been heard in the throne room of God. But the angel had had to fight his way through a very thick battlefield in the heavenlies, and it took three weeks' worth of slogging inch by inch for him to make it back to Daniel. So please take note here. God could have said, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. We can get back to Daniel when it's easier. But he didn't do that. God was and is intentional in his responses. Daniel kept praying. He didn't quit when the answer didn't come quickly. Maybe his prayers played a part in the victory gained by the angel, or maybe it was a lesson in perseverance for Daniel. But the point is, God made sure that Daniel knew that his prayers had mattered and that he had been heard immediately, even if the response wasn't. God changes not. He's still this way with us today. And the angel goes on to encourage Daniel, who's a bit overwhelmed and still very weak from his fasting. In verse 17, Daniel tells the angel, my strength is gone, I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Don't be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong, be strong. Daniel had no idea of what had been transpiring over his head and the unseen dimensions as he had fasted and prayed. 
He was engaged in intercession and spiritual warfare, but he really had no idea the magnitude of it. Regardless, though, Daniel pressed in. He did not quit. He prayed until the answer came, until he had the breakthrough, until the burden lifted. He persevered, and the victory came. We only see in part. When we've done all that we can, we must determine in our hearts to hold on. We will stand firm. We have to do this ahead of time. We have to hold on, and we will finish strong. We will stand and see the victory because when we've done our part, he who is faithful and true, he's going to do his. He'll send the angels or he'll send the hornets to displace the enemy and topple the opposition. He'll deliver by many or he'll deliver by few, but God will always deliver his own. In Joshua 23, verse 3, Joshua reminds the Hebrews, you yourself have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and you eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you didn't plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. God promises to care for us, to fight for us. Once again, that's why it's so important to have memory stones that you can reflect on and remind yourself of times past when God has come through for you. Because you know, he always, always has. Journal them as they unfold so that you can remember them in times of trouble. It's going to increase your faith. It's going to help you to stand strong while the battle is raging. You may not know when, but you can definitely know that he will deliver you once again. It takes discipline. It takes courage. It takes faith. But you can stay the course and finish strong. Joshua 23, 6 says, be strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning to the right or to the left. And that's the key. Learn it. Believe it. Let the revelation of who the word is penetrate every fiber of your being. Love him and grow in your relationship with him. Then no one will ever be able to move you from who or what you believe in. And finally, This is our commission to those that are waxing weak in their faith. Isaiah 35, 3 through 5 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. So in conclusion, we need to take a hard look at what God has saved us from. That's correct. Remember where you were and what you were doing when Jesus found you. That in itself should be enough to keep you standing for him. Why would you ever want to exchange what you found in Jesus to return to that formal life of sin? Proverbs 26.11 equates that kind of living with the dog returning to their own vomit. And that's the kind of living that God in his loving kindness has saved us from. So I want to both encourage and admonish us with this final thought from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be glorious like his. So forget the past. Remember who saved you and what he saved you from. Focus on the end goal. Stand firm in your faith. Hold on to Jesus, and you will finish strong. And no matter what the opposition, no matter what you may not be seeing with your natural eye, trust in God. Know that he is faithful. He keeps his word. Do not grow weary in your well-doing. Don't quit. Don't let the enemy rob you of your hope, knowing that in due season, either here or in eternity, you'll reap a great reward. And you're going to hear the Savior say, well done. Amen? Amen. So um, if there's any questions, I can take questions, or we can just have prayer. I'm used to doing like a 25-minute message because I always have an interpreter. So you guys have the benefit of that, right? (laughs) Okay, well, let's just pray. And if you um, are feeling discouraged in your faith, if you need a fresh touch from Holy Spirit to strengthen you today, or you need to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ and his grace in your life today, you know, he's here. All you have to do is just open up your heart, reach out, and he will more than meet you there. So, Father, we just thank you for this word, Lord. Your word is true. Your word is life. Your word is everything that we need. So, Father, forgive us if we haven't had an appetite for your word, Lord. Just weed out the things that are plugging that up, Lord, that are, that are draining our, our energy or our desire, Lord, for, to, for the word of God or to know you in a deeper way. Father, we just ask that you would help us to be disciplined, to spend time in your word and let your word speak to us so that we can come to know you. And through that, we can come to know the plans that you have for our lives. Your word will help us to stand and stay the course even in these difficult times. Father, we just ask that you would just bless each one that's here tonight. Father, that you would just keep your hand upon them, that you would meet every need. Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you would keep them in health. Father, we celebrate the victories that you're doing um, in, in our brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they're having victory over addictions and things that they've struggled with. Lord, you're proving yourself faithful in their lives, Lord, and we just celebrate that. And Lord, we ask a special prayer for Israel, that you would just keep your hand on that land, Lord, that you would give wisdom to those that are in leadership, that you would cover, Father, them with the blood of Jesus, and Lord, even through this time, that they would come to know you as their Messiah, too. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time, and we thank you for this word, and seal it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.